few seconds. We'll do what we can to keep you awake here because that's going to be rough. We're in Exodus chapter 20. We are hitting the, first, the second commandment tonight. Um, and this is going to be interesting because if you were to count, let's say they, they hooked you up to a machine that kind of registers your sense of stress and you're going through the Ten Commandments, and this is like the test to get into heaven, right? You've got to, you've got to have obeyed the Ten Commandments. You've got to pass this test. And, and every one of them gives you a little bit of consternation, right? This one, command number two, would register a zero. Least amount of stress, right? You'd pause as you go through them and say, well, this is one I definitely have no problem with. And here it is. You shall make for yourself... No graven image. And you go, whoo, yippee, right? Because I got this one. You can search through my phone, and you will not see me bowing down to any totem pole in my backyard. No pictures of that. You can go through my house. There's not one idol anywhere. There's no idol paraphernalia anywhere in my car or house. I got this one made, right? You're at least going to get a 10% on your final because this one you don't violate. But then you start thinking, and you compare it to the first commandment. I'll show this. You shall have no other gods before me, and then the second one, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. And you're like, well, it's the same thing. These are two commands that are the same, but they're really not. Look at that first one, and really what it is, is you do not worship any other gods other than me. The second one is this. You will not worship the true God in a false way. You worship me as I tell you I want to be worshipped, not just as you imagine best. It seems like the temptation of God's people all the time, from beginning to now, is that we look at the way other people worship and we think, I want to incorporate this, or I like this, I think this feature is good. Let's bring this over into my worship of God because I like the way this makes me feel, I like the way this makes me whatever, and I want to make my worship the worship of God, just like these people over here. And if you look at the first century, not the first century, the ancient world they're living in, every other group of people worshipped idols. And as they look around, they say, you know what? Every group around us, every nation around us uses idols. We want to use idols too. Now, you may sit here and go, what's the hang-up with that? But here's the thing, when you're worshiping, everybody else is bowing down to some image they can see, that they can tangibly see, and we are worshiping a God as we come together into worship, and we're bowing down, or we're worshiping something that's not even there. There's nothing there. It's empty space. This is really weird. Everybody else is doing it this way, and it helps their worship. Let's do it that way, too. And God says, you know what? I don't intend to leave it up to you about how I'm to be worshipped. Because it goes wrong when I leave it up to you. And here's why they were so drawn to idols. When there's nothing there, you have to put something there. You know what's the difference between false worship and true? We're worshipping something that is here. There is a God. And we've got an understanding of him because he's made himself known to us. He did not intend to leave it up to us to decide what he's like. He's not going to leave it up to your imagination. When you do this, when your mind goes crazy and you start having to, to create your own stuff, because here's the thing, 
They worship something that doesn't exist, so they've got to put something there. Not only that, but how do I get myself excited about this God? I've got to make up some truth about him, and it's going to be something I like. We don't make up any truth. You know what whips Christians into a frenzy? What gets their emotions stirred? The truth we know. That's what stirs us. What stirs us is what we know about God that he's made known and it's exciting and it's true and we know it and we can read it in his word and we know it's truth and we get it together and we can celebrate the fact that we know truth. But a false God, you've got to build something there that represents this God and then you've got to make up some truth about him because he's not spoken. False gods don't speak. They're not worshiping knowledge. They're worshiping what they want to be true. And that's what happens. They make God in their own image. With this command, God's saying, it, God's saying this, I already exist. I've told you who I am. And you don't need to make up anything about me. And you don't have to imagine anything about me. Now, you want to see how this goes. This is how it happens. It's not very long after the giving of the Ten Commandments. You've got Exodus chapter 32. Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments. He's gone for 40 days. What do the people do while he's gone? You remember what they do? We're gonna, we're gonna, we want something to symbolize. They did not break commandment number one. Do you know what they named the golden calf? Yahweh. This is the God that led us up out of Egypt. This is the God who shook the mountains. This is, they are not making new gods. They are just creating an image of the God, and they put him in this little golden calf, and God is furious. I don't want to be identified with that little thing. Now, they, I want you to notice this. It says they bowed down and worshipped this golden calf, and then they rose up to play. Verse 6 of Exodus 32. They weren't playing tag, church. It's not like, let's go worship God in this calf and let's go play tag. No, they were in sexual revelry. They were doing what they see every other God worshipped in the ancient world did. They rallied around this God and they did whatever they wanted to in the name of that religion. And they were doing the same thing. And God says, I will not do that. Romans chapter 1 says the first thing you do is you suppress the knowledge of God and you replace God with created things. You put some created... Uh, animal some created thing you make an image of it and you worship it and the first thing that goes is your morality do you remember when God spoke from the mountain he shook the mountain he made it burn with smoke and the people were terrified they stood at attention and they obeyed God perfectly you remember that Exodus 19 what happens when they make it a calf and they worship it any way they want to and then they rise up and they play around there's no fear in a calf. There is no concern about a calf killing you. But you, when you worship the real God who really does make an appearance and he shakes your world and he smokes up the world and he says, I'm here, they stand at attention and they obey. But when you lower him into an image that's familiar, when you lower him into an image that's much less than he really is, you can just rise up and play and worship any way you want to without fear because that golden calf can't be the same God who shook the mountain. It's really interesting to me. And God says, I don't want you worshiping these images. I don't want you looking in the created world at something I created, make a wooden or metal image of that created thing that I made, and then say, this is my God. That is not what I want. I want to be who I am, and I want you to trust my words. Now, here's a few things we see in the history that happen when you make God into an image. No image is adequate to communicate and represent God. 
Nothing can capture God. God is spiritual. He's not material. He's eternal. He's not something in the temporal world. And the thing is, you become what you worship. You become just like what you worship. And when you worship some kind of image that represents certain attributes of God, it lowers your morality. Romans 1 is an example of this. Exodus 32 is an illustration of this. When you take God, who's big, gigantic, eternal, and unexplainable, inexplicable, He is mysterious, He is powerful, He's all everything, and you slower Him into something that's sitting in front of you that you controlled and you created, you domesticate God and you misrepresent Him. And your morality follows suit. Guys, we need a God who's big enough and powerful enough to strike fear in our hearts and get us not to lust. We need a God who's big enough and powerful enough and strikes fear into our hearts that when we know this God and come to be like this God, we are better than our humanity. We rise up and become like the Son of God. We don't lower ourselves and make ourselves God like everybody else does. Romans 1 is the epitome of this. When Moses saw them coming down from the mountain, worshiping this golden calf, it says in verse 25 of Exodus 32, and they had broken loose. The people just went crazy in immorality and uncontrolled living because they lowered God into something so petty. Don't do that. And I'll tell you how we can do that today because we think, well, I'm not going to worry about having a totem pole in my backyard. Well, we can do this, though. Second thing, any image you choose will imprint some misunderstanding about God. So they have this bull, and in the ancient world, the bull represented something strong and viral and powerful. But that leaves behind grace and holiness and gentleness, and that's God, too. What attributes are you going to highlight, and what attributes are you going to neglect when you choose an image for God? It's going to be incomplete. God's too big to be narrowed down into one little image in your mind. Like the art world, when you're looking at abstract art and it's sitting on the wall, you ever seen Jackson Pollock and those things? It looks like a three-year-old just got thrown paint and he just starts walking across the canvas and it makes no sense at all. And so you open this canvas and it's in a, all these sophisticated art people holding champagne glasses. They come up and they look at it, hmm, and they look at it for an hour and say, that looks like the rebellious world of nature when, a, uh, when, a, uh, when I'm on rowing peacefully across the ocean and suddenly a storm rages. And the art guy says, okay, it's whatever you see, that's fine. Another person comes along, looks at it and says, oh, that looks so peaceful like I'm sitting at a wishing well tossing in a, a penny. And the art guy says, okay, it's whatever you make it. God is not whatever you want to make Him. He didn't intend to be this image where you can look at it and see whatever you want to see. <clears throat> like a Rorschach test where you see an ink blot and you say, what is this? And that's what it is. God never intended, it to, to, intended to leave it up to you what He's like. Images will do that. Art will do that. But you know what won't? His own painted word portrait. God decided when he revealed himself to humanity, I'm not going to use a picture. A picture is worth a thousand words. God can't be described in a million words. And so he says, I'm not going to let you pick the picture you want. 
I want, to, I want you to notice when he explains this in the Deuteronomy section. If you would, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and put a big asterisk on chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning verse 15. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day the Lord spoke to you out of Hor- at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourself in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that's on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that's in the water under the earth. Beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you'll be drawn away to bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. God gave it to every Everybody. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. The Lord was angry with me because of you and swore that I would not cross the Jordan, that I should not enter the land the Lord your God gave you. Why? God spoke. God spoke words. He didn't come in an image. God chose to speak revelation. He doesn't want your imagination. He wants you to trust his revelation. There's a difference. I, I did not come in a form. I came in words, and I revealed to you who I was, and God's too complex. And so he says, I want you to trust my self-portrait. I want you to trust my words and everything that I am. And don't put me into a box with a painted picture on the side. You know how we do this? We caricature people this way. We choose the doctrines we want that are the big ones. This is how we do it today. The big doctrines are the five acts of worship, and we're going to fight for this, and it better be these five, it better be nothing else than these five. Now, I'm going to be rude and obnoxious when I go out to eat on Sunday, and it's not going to affect my behavior toward my wife all week, but I'm going to tell you this, I got the five acts of worship right. I got those five right, and that's God. God is wrapped up in the five elements of worship on Sunday morning, public worship. I didn't bring in the instrument. I did the Lord's Supper. I made sure by the end of this 24-hour period, I had the Lord's Supper, and I've got the week racked up, And the rest of the week, it doesn't matter how I live. You know what you've just done? You've made God into one doctrine. And you said, that's it. This is the most important and the rest doesn't matter. And you've also said to everybody else who does anything a little bit differently, boy, you're risking the hell of God. But it doesn't affect your behavior. It doesn't affect your life. And God says, I want you to know I'm about your worship. I'm about being very careful with your public worship, but I'm about a lot more than that too. Don't make me just be one doctrine. And if that's it, that's it. And there are people that say, well, I've been married for life, and I've got one woman for life. You were been disrespectful, obnoxious, annoying. But by golly, I've only had one spouse. And that's the doctrine that's at the top of the hierarchy. It is God. God is marriage. No, he's not. God does care about you following his law. He does, but you know what? He also has grace. I'm the God who's long-suffering. I will not always accuse. I will not harbor my anger forever. I will not treat you as your sins deserve. Do you get that about God? So on this side, you got people who say, you better do it by the letter of the law, and if you cross one thing, you're off. And then you got these people over here that swing to the other side and say, God's all grace. He's all a fluffy little girl with throwing out flowers. God's not either one. God's both. 
God's all of it. And there's not an image that can convey that. There's not one particular image that would convey all that. So God said, I don't want you using images. I'm giving you words. This is where God's to be found. And take it all. Don't just take the parts that you find easy to obey. Don't just take the parts that that you've already got mastered and say, that's all that God cares about. The other stuff I struggle with, He doesn't care about. Who says? Who says you've made God a certain narrow field of doctrinal belief that you've got all down, and then you leave it to everybody else, what everybody else struggles with? That's what you say is most important. God's concerned about the whole deal. Don't just narrow and pick certain doctrines. There's, any image also could be localized and materialized God, Right? There's this problem in Jeremiah chapter 7 where he says, you know, you guys are living immoral lives and then you come into the temple on Sunday and as long as, Saturday, as long as you worship in the temple, we have the temple of the Lord. Jerusalem has the temple, the house of God. God's here. Nothing can, we can live any way we want to, but we live in the town where God lives. As long as I come on Sunday morning, don't lie in the church building. Now, you can lie in the parking lot. You can lie at the, on your car on the way here and back. And you can lie all the time at, wor- at, at your work. And you can lie all the time at home. But don't you lie in the church building. I don't mean lie down. I mean lie. Don't tell the truth. Can I tell you, God's everywhere. You can't locate him in one spot and say, as long as I come to that spot every now and then, I'm okay. God's everywhere. He follows you around. He's that all-seeing eye watching you. You know this song? Okay, yeah. He's an all-seeing, and he really is, but it's a little terrifying to sing that song as a kid because you think you've got this big giant eyeball in the sky following you everywhere you go, waiting to just crush you, right? That's not what he means, but he is. He's everywhere. Don't locate God in one thing. And there's one more. Any image that you would use could be used to manipulate God, and this happens. 1 Samuel chapter 4. The people go fight the, Philipp- the Philistines, not the Philippians, the Philistines. They go to fight the Philistines in battle, and they get whooped. They're God's people getting whooped, and they shouldn't get whooped as God's people. And they say, oh, we know what happened. We didn't take God into battle with us. Let's get the Ark of the Covenant, and when we go out and fight our battles, we'll, we'll haul God into battle with us. So God's in his little box, and we take our God in the box into our battle, and now we're going to win because we've got God with us. And guess what happens? You remember this? The ark gets captured, and the people are devastated. How can that happen? If you think you have God all figured out in a box, and you can carry him around and master him and domesticate him, you've got another thing coming. This happens another time. Does anybody remember they were murmuring against Moses, and suddenly these snakes come along and they bite the people? And God comes up with a cure. I'm gonna lift, I want you to lift up this pole that has a serpent on the end of it, and everybody who looks up at the pole will get healing. That's kind of a magical thing, isn't it? Later on, they've named that pole, and they're worshiping it First 1 Kings. Anybody know what the name of the pole was? They had named this thing God used for them to access his healing power, and they had actually bowed down to this thing and worshipped it. That's what we're going to do if we use images and these things like that. We're going to manipulate God and think we can carry him around on a pole. Nehushtun is his name, and he makes them grind it up in powder because they've taken something 
that's not God and they've made it God. And we can do the same thing. We can do this when we, we, we somehow think the Lord's Supper, while as important as it is, it is not some magical thing to get right. It's not a thing to say, well, I've got to run in here. I can't be at worship at all with people. I'm going to run home. I'm going to run to the gas station. I'm going to get my grape juice and, drink and, 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 my, and my cracker, and I'm going to... I know that bothers you, but it is a cracker at a gas station. You will not get unleavened bread at a gas station, I promise you. So it's going to be a cracker. And so you do that and say, oh, I've done it. It's not that thing. If you can be there with God's people and take it, take it. But don't make it a magical formula that by the end of this 24-hour period, I must have taken it or else I'm not a right with God thing. It's not that. We can make it that way. We make it a God for us. All these things, all this tells you is God's concerned about the fact, not just that we make sure that his competitors are removed from our life, but that we trust his self-revelation enough to do what he tells us even when we're enticed to do other things that are around us. We can look at people around us today, and I think a lot of bringing the instrument into the church, a lot of people will say, I like the way it makes me feel and see everybody else is doing it, and that's the real motive for bringing it in. We're doing commandment number two violation when we do that. When the only reason and the only motive we have is to be like everybody else, and it makes me feel a certain way, God says, listen, I want you not only to remove my competitors, but I want you to take my word for it. Don't worship me like everybody else wants you to, or even how you are drawn to. I want you to worship me like I ask to be worshipped. I know what I want, and I know in worship what you need to offer to make you like me. And it's not to do what you want to do. This tonight and every time we gather is not about you. It's not about you. And so don't leave and say, well, what did that do for you? I don't care. I don't care. Was God pleased with what you offered? And then hopefully if he was, the reason he asked you to do that is because as you engage in that, it makes you look like him. Now this is a key thing we're going to get in a minute, but I'm going to tell you in the New Testament... A weird text, you think, what's this relate to this? Do you remember when Peter finally says, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God? you remember this? And Jesus says, bless you, Simon. Upon this rock of your confession, I will build my church. He got the identity right. He understood who God was. And he says, I don't believe in anybody else. I believe you're the one we're looking for. And then, right after he says that, Jesus says, well, let me tell you what the Son of God is like. Let me tell you what he's going to do. I'm the son of God. You got that identity right. And here's what it's going to mean. It's going to mean we're going to continue walking for a little while, but after a while I'm going to be betrayed. And I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be mistreated terribly. And I'm going to die on a cross. And then I'm going to rise from the dead. And Peter says, whoa, 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 no, no. That's not what the son of God does. It's really hard to say that you're the son of God and then tell you you're wrong in the next minute, right? That's a very awkward moment nobody needs to be in. Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. He went from saint to Satan in 3.2 seconds. You know why? He didn't let God define God. He wanted to define God instead. The God I believe in will not send his son to die shamefully. Is that true? 
The heart of our doctrine is we serve a God who did just that. And everybody else, the apostle said, no, no, I can't imagine you doing that. When we say to God, you're God, but we want you to be this way. We want to worship you this way. We want to decide you that you can't do that. When God is God, he calls the shots. You don't. You say yes, sir, to whatever he says. And if he says he sent his son to die, that's what it's going to be. And Peter fell to this. He fell to this because he thought he could define God in his own terms. You can't define God. I know if you were writing a piece of literature and you were making God who you wanted to be, you could make him whoever you want. But this literature did not come from us. This literature we follow in the scripture came from God. He's defining himself. He's telling us who he is. He's not asking us for permission to be who he is. He's telling us who he is. And he says, if you're going to be my people, you're going to follow this word and worship and life and ethics and the way you make decisions. You're going to follow this if I'm God. Is he God? Have you let him be? Commandment number two says, commandment number one said, get rid of my competitors. Commandment number two is let me define who I am and don't, don't interrupt me till I'm finished. So let's not interrupt him. But it's so hard, isn't it, to, be, to not have an image. We want the world to be able to see God. And that's what a lot of people in the, in the ancient world, they wanted the world to be able to see God. And that's why they created this image. And they wanted it to be glorious. Can I tell you something? It's not exactly true God doesn't have an image. He does, doesn't he? He has left an image. Listen to 2 Corinthians. Now the Lord is a spirit, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord whose spirit. Even as you're gathering here, if you will gather in your worship and let God be God and you will come on his terms and do what he tells you to, he is making you more and more into the image of God and you go into the world and you show the world who God is. It's in you. You were made in the image of God. He already has his image here in us. Now the more we take on his image, the greater we are at his original created intent. We're living by the accuracy and as we look into his face, and worship is this y'all, you're worshiping into his face, you're worshiping him on his terms and as you do, he changes you. You look more like him. Then you leave here and you go into a world showing the world what the image of God looks like and the way you live your life. There is an image. We don't need to build it. We don't need to define it. We just need to be it. We need to be it by following God and trusting his self-portrait. He's left his words. Now let them be enough. Let them be enough and don't exchange them for anything else, anything else less, anything else that does more or for you because it's not about you. It's about his image in you and he cannot change you if you continue to want to be like you. You must continue to want to be like him and trust his self-portrait. This, this evening, here you are again, coming into his presence and saying, we're going to let your word be the guide. We're going to let your word change us. We're going to let your word transform my image. And we go out in the world tonight, I hope, you leave here looking just a little bit more like God than when you came.
just a little bit more. And every time we gather, that same intent finds you here. And over the years, that image should get richer and is what Paul calls, you'll take more and more that image on you. Maybe you've never even started the process because you haven't decided that that's the image you want. You might be here for a lot of different motives. But this evening, if for whatever reason you decide, I want to be the image of God in this world, you already are. Everybody is to a certain extent, but when you, when you have the new creation, when you allow Jesus to take that sin and purge it out of your life by being washed in the waters of baptism and rising to walk this new creature, this new person who's the image of Christ, and more and more, you, when you do that, you become a greater witness and ambassador for him. If you've never done that, tonight's a great time to do it. If you have, and you've marred that image, we can do this, you know. You know how you do it? When you violate commandment number two. When you insist on doing it your way rather than his, you're violating commandment number two. You see, when we started and I said, hook you up to this thing, and you think, well, I got this one made. Commandment number two is a lot more complicated than you thought. It's a lot more invasive than you thought. And maybe you've been hooked up to this thing. And you say, you know what? I'm not letting God be God in my life. And if you're not, tonight's a good, good time to say to him, I'm getting rid of my carved images. Before he can be a metal image, we make a mental one. And that's just as wrong as the metal. And if you're operating from the wrong mental image because you haven't allowed the word to form it, bust that thing up and get back to the word. Whatever you might need to do in response tonight, make it known as we stand and as we sing.